One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. marcharse de ese miedo, ese miedo de momento está enchufado, ahora justo lo digo y justo se pierde, Ay, a punto ha estado de cometer penalti, Pepe, 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 gol de Nicolás, Pepe, Pepe, is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, it's not goodly morning or goodly afternoon. You know, it's goodly evening. It could be goodly night. We've had some issues. We've had some issues, but we're here and goodly end of season to you. Goodly end of season to you too. I'm so pleased it's over. (laughs) Um, good evening is quite nice. We could sort of abbreviate that to just good evening. You know what I mean? Good le- good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Because otherwise we're repeating an unnecessary e sound. Good just leave. roll them together. Good exactly. Leave. Good evening. Good evening. Good le- good, <laughs> could, could sound sinister, that, I think. How's it all yeah. going? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I just had my first uh, COVID vaccination this evening at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, queued up, all moved pretty quickly, all very smooth, got a jab in the arm, had to wait around for a few minutes to see if I felt weird or had a reaction to it, but I'm completely purple toadstool, extreme stairlift, so there's no... (laughs) (laughs) And can you actually see the microchip go in? can feel it no listen we shouldn't i i'm 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 genuinely i am delighted to to have had the vaccine uh four weeks now until the second dose and get the full immunity from this thing and uh, i feel very lucky and privileged uh to have been able to get it Uh, i know that many people are still waiting and anxious to get it so i hope that you know wherever you are you uh you do get yours as soon as as possible so yeah mine's tomorrow oh wow Wow, yeah. I got the Pfizer one. I don't know which one you're getting. Oh, I think that's the best one. That's my favourite. That's the one I'm hoping for. Yeah. But as far as I understand it, we're running out of it in this country. Right. Um, we haven't got loads of it left. But um, listen, they're all good. They're doing amazing work. And mm. I got the text on Thursday or Friday last week saying, yeah. you know, we've got to your age, effectively. Um, and I managed to book one for Tuesday. And that's I'm great. very... 
excited. And yeah. I don't even like needles. No, look, you don't feel anything. You really don't. You don't feel a thing. And look, I have to say as well that, that like the, the, the place this evening was staffed by volunteers uh, yeah. who are doing an amazing thing and giving up their time for the benefit of the, the wider community. And I'm sure that's the same all over the world where these things and when vaccines are being rolled out. So uh, thank you to, to all of those people uh, for what they're doing. So um yeah monday evening the season is gone it's over i mean how do you feel about the season being over do you feel like it's so nice it's so nice or do you feel a little bit a <laughs> little bit more <laughs> something else about it did you watch that interview That's your... it's so nice it's so nice i haven't seen that what is it that is pep guardiola Oh, talking about Aguero. Talking about Sergio Aguero and the guy, he says to him, him, is it, it, you know, is he just on a human level that you like him? And he stands there and he's sort of crying and he says, it's so nice. He's so nice. He's so nice. He's so nice. (laughs) It's just an amazing uh, interview. I I heartily recommend you. Taking his I'm very happy shtick to the next level there. So, Uh, so, so happy, you guys. So So nice. So, so nice. Uh, wow, the emotive stuff. Uh, how do I feel, Andrew? Season's mm. ending at just the wrong time. We only need a few more months of this. The league would be ours. Man, it is It is something that does bring about a tinge of regret, isn't it? Like we've put together this run at the end of the season and people will say, ah, the pressure's off and blah, blah, blah. And look, maybe there's part of it, but... I don't know, we just kind of found our shit a bit towards the end of the season. Uh, pity we couldn't do it for Villarreal, of course, but but there you go. Mm. Um, look, you you can't help but look at the, the league table and see us finish on 61 points. What were we, two points or one point off the... Uh, where was the Europa League? No, we were a couple of points off the Europa But, like, you can't help but look at the points that we dropped this season, the stupid points, the red card points, the Burnley points, the Fulham points, the, the Everton points, the Southampton points. Those points, pointy points that we could have had and should have had. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I have to say I feel slightly confused by, by how I feel. In some ways, I feel like, well... We've done all right, and I know people hate the second half of the season thing, and it's right. It's The season is 38 games. But I, I do see some signs of positivity, and then, of course, you're reminded of those dark, dismal, disheartening months of November and December. Uh, and It was bad. It was really bad, and it's fucked us, you know, in, in a way. Uh, and you can't ignore that. You can't just wipe that off the slate and say, well, if that didn't happen, we'd have been great. It did happen. Yeah. So if we, we do weren't. the league table just on the last five games, we're champions. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it is really galling to look at the table and think mm. it is just six points, you know, to, to, to where we wanted to be. And yeah. you think of so many matches where we unnecessarily drop points. I mean, losing at home to Burnley, you know, things like that. Just so unnecessary but I mean maybe we should have stopped podcasting around December you know because the (laughs) writing was on the wall we had done it to ourselves I think we had put ourselves with that dismal dismal run in such a position that it was it was basically impossible to rescue our season at that point and in fairness I think there was pretty much consensus about that among Arsenal fans at the time I think we all knew well we've we've blown our season with that Mm. run and in fact 
the fact that we've gone on such a good run subsequently and still missed out on our goals just underlines that point, really, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, yeah. Well, but it was a confusing day, too, because, you know, one minute we were going to be seventh and mm. above Tottenham and in the, you know, Europa Conference. I would have liked business. that. I would have liked that. I would have liked to have mm. finished above Tottenham. I, Same. Five years, Andrew. That's crazy, isn't it? Imagine saying that, like, five years ago, that it, we'd finish behind them every year for five years. And also, like, think about the last five years. It doesn't even feel like Tottenham have been very good in that time. Not especially. I mean, you know? they were quite good under Pochettino. You have to say that he he did a, a good job there. I mean, let's make it very clear that they still have not won anything despite this period of so-called what uh, power shift or whatever they want to fucking call it. They still haven't won anything. But I, I do know what you mean. But I also think that they have been able to not be that good because we also have not been that good. Well, that's that's what exactly what I mean. How mm. not good must we have been? And it, it's a quite, long time, five years. It, and it doesn't feel... It hasn't felt like five years. And I think that's down to quite a hefty dose of denial on my part, basically just ignoring that fact. Um, I was really, really annoyed with Leicester City, I must admit. What uh, what they have... I mean, I, I put out a tweet um, on Sunday evening to say that the way they bottled the Champions League qualification... Um, in the last two years has been incredible. And I got a lot of pushback for it. And I think probably maybe the word bottle is a little harsh, but apparently they spent 92% of this season in the top four. I think it was all but about four games. Yeah, something I mean, like that. it is absolutely crazy what they've done. And I know they've had injuries and they've won the cup and fair play. You know, and we talked about the way Leicester... You know, there were things that we could learn from Leicester. Uh, that's one thing that we have to make sure we definitely do not learn from Leicester. It was quite funny. Um, I have to uh, uh, share some of the, the blame here. My brother texted me a happy St. Totteringham's Day WhatsApp. And I went, well, hang on. Hang on. They're losing 2-1. And then all of a sudden it went 3-2. And then uh, he said that this Leicester-style collapse is known in his Liverpool WhatsApp group as the brogening. <laughs> yeah so. i mean it is uncanny they've done it i think twice now haven't yeah. they under him and yes they had some big injuries i mean harvey barnes and james justin are the the really big ones who have been long absentees vardy missed a spell as well madison was out for a bit as well wasn't he yeah so. but even so it is kind of incredible and it's sort of the way they did it you know casper schmeichel scored an own goal and um, that tottenham team they don't even have a manager and harry kane has just said he wants to leave yeah. You know. Yeah. He did play like a, a man possessed from what I could see. Uh, hopefully that was his farewell. Um, but, yeah, I was annoyed. It's funny, isn't it? You know, I, I didn't... The Conference League I could take or leave, but I really did care about finishing above Spurs. Mm. I can't disguise that. So... Yeah, the only way it could have happened, you know, finishing above Spurs was if Everton had beaten Man City and Man that, City that didn't go so well no, for it us. didn't <laughs> it really <laughs> didn't they were 2-0 down about 15 minutes in you're like oh Christ you know 
So that's not that's not going to happen. Yeah, look, I I'm not going to cry any tears. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I care that we're out of the UEFA Conference League. I'm not. I think I made it pretty clear. I had some objections to that. I know not everybody shared that point of view. It's just how I feel about it. But it was a shame that we couldn't finish above Tottenham. And yeah, there you go. It's something to put right next season. That's for sure. Big time. Can't, you know, five years. Yeah, it's too long. That's it. That's enough now. Arsenal, if you're listening, that's enough. We've had enough. The line has been drawn in the sand, sorted out next season, along with many, many other things that you've got to sort out. Um, Fans were back, James, and it was great. It was really great to hear and see fans back in the stadium. There were moments where I felt actually a little bit emotional watching Mm. the game, and this was you know, let's face it, essentially a meaningless game in the context of our season, finishing seventh or finishing eighth, conference league or not conference league. It's like, you want a shit sandwich or not a shit sandwich? Okay. Um, But, you know, to hear goals being celebrated, to uh, listen once again to an opposition substitute being announced and to hear the who... From the fans. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Absolutely. The cries of shoot. Were you hear, pleased to hear them again? <laughs> that was brilliant. Who was it? Was it Odegaard? I think it might have been Martin Odegaard early in the first half, fairly yeah. early in the first half. It fell to him and it was like, shoot. And it was like, oh, fuck, I better do what they say. I should not have shot. It didn't really do anything. I think he just cracked it into a defender who was a couple of yards away from him. But that, even that, was lovely, wasn't it? It was. I mean, yeah, it felt like anyone who got the ball within the last sort of 30 yards was getting that. But it was great. I I wasn't there. Amy Lawrence was there. And I hope she mm. won't mind me saying I spoke to her on the phone earlier. She said she was, it was really emotional, you know, when the team came out and they got their ovation. And I loved everything. I loved just, you know, even a, a good pass being appreciated by mm. fans, that sound, or a good tackle yeah. being met with a round of applause. It just adds sort of dynamics to a game it's 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 the accompaniment that is so badly missed and one thing I thought was really interesting as well and I guess this is you know for people who always watch on the tv it makes a massive difference to the tv product you know like to the tv experience of course it feels like so I think we've become so kind of inured to the kind of fake crowd noise no I Um, never I never never used the fake crowd noise so football for me for the last 12 months or so or however long it's been has been this really sterile yeah. thing you know without well, both have their evils i think you know um, yeah no there was a perfect solution i i agree but even even the palace game the other night was brilliant as well like it was again it's not like the most exciting uh, performance of the season I know we won the game but even stuff like Kieran Tierney becoming the pantomime villain because mm. he got kicked I love it you miss that so much and it's a whole other layer I have to say I really enjoyed as well about the Palace game obviously it was just home fans mm. Um, and so I loved it when the away team scored and you properly silence a stadium. Obviously, it's great when you have the roar of the away fans, but it kind of reminded me of kind of, you know, the new camp or something like that, yeah, where the yeah, away yeah. team score and it's just complete dead silence. Apart from like, um, you just hear like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. in the background. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was great to... 
see the fans there, see the fans before the game. You know, there was the protest mm. as well, which looked to be pretty well attended despite some pretty dismal weather. Um, and then once the match started really behind the team and it's a sort of weird thing in a way it was the last game of the season but mm. it's, it kind of felt like the first too because like it felt yeah. proper in it, some way exactly it felt like it felt real and i think we've said this plenty of times uh, on the podcast that that there has been this feeling of surrealness and like sterile where it's like none of the good moments feel as good as they should and the bad moments feel worse because they're happening in this kind of this vacuum of uh, artificial whatever this sort of facsimile of football that that we've had to get used to for obvious reasons mm-hmm. you know uh but to to see and hear and experience what a real football match well something akin to it there was only 10,000 people there but 10,000 people make a lot of difference it was it was really great I enjoyed the final day of the season in its own little bubble if you like because of because of simply the the return of fans yeah yeah any thoughts about the starting lineup in particular um no I think I think it was one which maybe had an eye on next season, in a way. Yeah, I definitely think. I think the last few games... Few games. Smith-Rowe. Yeah. You know, I know Saka didn't start, but he started a lot and he came off the bench. You know, there was no Lacazette. He got a few minutes at the end. Um, I find find that one quite telling. You know, it feels like his minutes have sort of disappeared, really. And it's not like... Uh, he did anything to necessarily warrant it, and it's frankly not really like Aubameyang's done much to mm. warrant that either. But hopefully, it's kind of a strategic thing because they're looking at the situation and thinking, "Well, Oba's definitely going to be here next year, and he's the guy we need to make this work with." Yeah, you know. So there was no no Sabios, for example, no Willian in the squad apparently, yeah, because uh, he had I don't know what. Um, no, David Louise, obviously, who is who's leaving. Uh, like Bellerin Zep, injured, Bellerin yeah. injured, which I, you know I think is a bit of a shame as well. Um, but you know Chambers at, at at right back and Tierney, and then you've got Odegaard, and I think there was something quite telling about his selection as well. You know, mm. when Arteta said afterwards, we've got a very clear idea of what we want to do when it comes to Martin Odegaard. I think there's a, there's only one. Uh, thing you can read into that, isn't there? I don't think you'd be saying that if it was, we want to get rid of him. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We're yeah. very, very clear. We do not like this player. I mean, he looked super motivated from the first minute. Yeah, I agree. God, I thought. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, you know, you can interpret that in different ways. I was kind of thinking, is that because he thinks I might not be back here? I want to leave a good impression. Or is it because he wants mm. to convince the club to push the boat out and get that deal done but it was really good to see him play uh, kind of in the fashion that he did before the injury picked up on international duty yeah I mean I think you know people can talk about and probably will talk about the 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 numbers or the end product um, but he really does work hard when he's properly fit and I think he was as close to fully fit as uh, we've seen him in the last few weeks he really does work hard. He presses high. He leads mm-hmm. that press. And I think, I really think he's a player that if he can bring him in on a permanent basis, Mikel Arteta will. 
and will use heavily next season because I think he likes the technical quality that he has, but I think he really also likes the character and the way that, that Odegaard uh, tries to play the game. I think he's he's obviously fitted in really well, slotted in on loan, had a big impact. I know there was that lull in the middle, but uh, I think if there is a, a, a chance of bringing him in, it's something that will be pretty high on Arteta's priority list. It's not often in football... <clears throat> you get the chance to try before you buy, you know? And I think we've seen enough from Odegaard. Buying a player is such a huge risk. If you think about, let's say, the alternative, David Ornstein reported today is Emi Buendia, and I know Charles Watts put it on that last week as well, someone Mm. they're interested in. He's a good player, but we don't know what he'll do in an Arsenal shirt. There is always that kind of chaos factor of how does a player fit into the team, fit into the group, fit into the city, all these things that Mm. affect performance. You know, it's a risk. It's always a risk. And I think personally that we've seen enough from Odegaard that this feels like less of a risk. You know, we've seen that he can play very well in this team. Mm. We'd like to see it with more consistency, perhaps, and maybe you know more fitness with no injury problems. But I just think it's rare that you get that opportunity to take a look at a player, put them in your team, see how they combine with other people, see how they fit the system, and then think, should we spend the money? I think we're in a privileged position if, we, if that's the position we're in. Yeah. But a lot's in Real Madrid's hands, right? Of course, of course. Um, you know, what what sort of money they might want for him, I don't know. I mean, it would he be any less or more expensive than Buendia, for example, Norwich coming up from the I championship? Don't think so. I mean, he's got a contract till 2024 with Norwich. So they have a very, very strong hand. He's had a great season, hasn't he, at, at championship level? Uh, I think he's 16 goals and 14 assists or something in those regions, you know, 15 and 15, more or less. I mean, really good numbers, but also in the championship. I'm always slightly, slightly dubious about uh, that kind of thing. You know, players who do it really effectively at a level which is kind of below where you where you want them to be, like Kesman scoring a bazillion goals in the, the, the Eredivisie, for example. You know? Yeah, I think I, I think Buendia, he did okay when he was in the Premier League last time. I think he's a more developed player now. I think yeah. he's a better player now. I think you would be looking at at least 40 million quid, to be honest with you. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, and if you think Aston Villa are one of the clubs interested, you know, they went and bought Ollie Watkins from Brentford or in the Championship, and I think that was about... There was over 30 million quid, as far as I remember. Mm. You'd be talking in that ballpark again for Buendia. I think Wade probably would be cheaper than Odegaard. Maybe he's on the salary. I imagine he's on sort of okay money at Madrid. But Mm. um, it just depends on if they want to keep him. I think one of the other cases to keep him is one of the discussions that's happening around the Arsenal squad at the moment is, are we losing leadership figures? Mm. And you talk about his mentality. I mean, he's an international captain, right? He's the captain of Norway. That's right, yeah. And he, he does seem like someone who could take on that mantle a little bit. You know, he could share in that, be part of that leadership group within the squad. Um, I'm in favour. I know not everybody is, um, but I think he is a quality player. Yeah. And we'd be fortunate if we can get him. I would do uh, it too, I have to say. I would, if if we could. Uh, I, I'd like us to sign him on a permanent basis. He's only 22, 
got loads of uh, developing still to do. I think you can see the quality in, in his passing. Some of his passing yesterday uh, against Brighton was, was excellent. You know, there are a couple of really good through balls, incisive balls to Aubameyang. He was involved in the, the second goal for Pepe. Uh, he works hard. He does his defensive shift. Yeah, I think he's got all the attributes that, that we're looking for. Um, do, you, do you think he's a problem? Some people I've seen online saying, you know, it's it's sideline Smith-Rowe, it pushes Smith-Rowe wide. Do you see it like that? It's a good question, I guess. It, it depends on what you think you can realistically get from Smith-Rowe next season because I, I you know I'll put my cards on the table there as well I love him I love watching him I think he's going to be a huge player for us uh, mm-hmm. the, the talent is incredible then you start to have conversations about well how much can you or should you rely on a 20 year old how much can you and should you place physically on a 20 year old like if we all want to see Smith Rowe play every game of next season are we then not culpable if he, you know, experiences some fitness issues or injury issues or, or you know, gets over overplayed or whatever it is? I think we have to think about how we build a squad, not necessarily just for next season, but the aim has to be next season because we don't have Europe. Um, we've got all the time to work um, in in the Premier League to you know put out a a team that isn't fatigued, that isn't doing, uh, going here, there and everywhere, traveling, et cetera, et cetera. But the aim then is to get back into Europe and to have players who can, um, you know, play across a, a busier season. So I, I don't worry that much um, because I do think there's room for both of them in the team, as we've seen at times this season. Um, you know, they've both played and both been been good for us. So, yeah. I don't make a point don't, there about yeah. the European thing because it's tempting to think no European football. You know, we, how, how many players do we need? And there's a degree of truth to that. But if Edu's doing his job correctly, he's thinking in terms of five years and hopefully yeah. in that period of time, us getting back into that level of competition. So we need to try and keep these people around. I think if mm. you think about those three positions behind Aubameyang or whoever it might be, you know, you've got Saka, Pepe, Odegaard. Saka Pepe, Odegaard, Smith Rowe, Martinelli. Martinelli. Uh, that's five, is it? You know, that's a nice sort of mix to be mm. competing for those roles. And there's a few who can do a few different jobs. I mean, Smith Rowe, I think, can play in any of those positions. Saka probably can play in any two. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think there's, there's probably. Um, when they sit down and think about their squad for next season, it is going to have to be smaller, no question, because we don't have Europe. It doesn't need to be quite as big. We can't carry as much. No, no. exactly. But I do wonder if you, you know, if you have players like Martinelli can play left or he can play striker. Saka can play fucking everywhere, it seems. Smith Rowe can play on the right. He can play as a 10. He can play on the left. You could probably play him in a midfield three if you're playing a 4-3-3 uh, as one of the one of the eights, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. if you, um, if you let's say, sit party and you've got two players ahead, he could easily play in there, I think. He uh, almost played there at times, I thought, in this game. Yeah. You know, he, he dropped in and allowed Tierney to overlap. Um, so, yeah, you've got really good 
combination mm. players who are flexible, who can do different jobs within that system. Um, basically, the long and the short of it is, I hope we can do Odegaard. I'd love to see that deal get done. Me too. I think it would be kind of a statement signing as well in a summer where, you know, look, our stock has fallen and we're not in Europe and the season has been poor. And, you know, if you see encouraging signs of the last four or five months, great. If you don't see encouraging signs, then maybe a signing like Odegaard is some kind of statement of intent from the club about how they're going to get back to where we want to get to. Because I I do think the quality is there in this player. A player coming from Real Madrid to play for a team who aren't in Europe would certainly be a statement. Yeah, I mean, he will have had to have been sold on the project or convinced by the project, <laughs> and maybe that in itself is a, an, uh, an encouraging sign. Nicolas Pepe, two more goals. Mm. Um, I mean, he's playing so well and ending this season so strongly. It's going to be mad to think who we sign to play ahead of him next season, isn't it? Keith Gillespie. We've been here before, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, Keith Gillespie, um, Stuart Ripley. I've heard quite a lot of whispers about Stuart Ripley. Um, <laughs> Andre Kanchelskis. Andre Kanchelskis. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Actually, Steve Stone. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Steve Stone. Very dynamic right winger. <laughs> Man, look, surely now, surely now the the... The lesson is um, we've got to give this guy because, like, he's he's such an odd player. He's such an odd player. Yeah, because, I don't know if you had the same commentator as me, but they were slating him for you know sloppy touches. There were. I mean, there, there, there are moments where he does that thing where he kind of has the ball and he kind of leans one way and he's trying. He's to, a disaster on a short corner. You give him the ball and he's like, you know, he steps yeah. over it and doesn't like, know where he's going. But the goals. I mean, just the quality is there. And you look at his numbers in the Premier League this season. He's 10 goals in the Premier League. And he's only started, what, 16 games? Yeah, 16 goals, all competitions. 16 goals, all competitions, a number of assists as well. So, you know. And and, and this is not to be, I mean, I'm delighted with that. But that is what we should be getting from him. Oh, yeah, yeah, from a £72 million player. And it's not to put the price tag on him, but, you know. Yeah, I remember when he arrived, we had a conversation um, and uh, someone asked us, like, how many goals is he going to score? And I I think I said I'd be looking for 15 in his first season. And Mm. that was ultimately, you know, a little bit too much. I mean, he he didn't settle. We didn't have a great first season. But I think from a player like that, I think that is the right sort of figure. I think he can score more goals than that. I really do. I think he's got the potential. He's such a good finisher. Mm. I mean, I suppose the only slight sort of fly in the ointment is that's been Saka's position for the majority of the season, but Saka's pretty good off the left as well. <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily see that as Saka's uh, long-term position. Right. What do you think that will be? I right have back. a feeling... <laughs> right back, <laughs> We've seen it tried. Yeah. Saliba's going out on loan. He's going to be our right-sided yeah. centre-half. We haven't actually got enough right-backs, um, <laughs> so we're going to convert him. I I think... I think he's going to be a midfielder. A central yeah. midfield player. I think. Mm. But again, you know, that versatility he has, whether that's something that's with him his entire career or whether he, you know, eventually 
is nailed down into one position, we'll we'll have to just wait and see. But I think that's my gut feeling on that. But we shouldn't sweat that. I mean, listen, no. you want you want options, and yeah, I, as I said, we've been here before with Pepe in the final game of last season. He had a brilliant game. Yeah, the FA Cup and, final. Yeah, yeah, and that was the culmination of a good run of form. I have to say, I think this season he's been a better uh, since sort of the turn of the year pretty much almost since the Leeds incident since he kind of came back into the team he got a couple of games in the Europa League and was clearly very determined to make an impact mm. and then as we went on through the season you just saw his all-round game improve dramatically I mean I think he looks stronger I think he looks better in a kind of shoulder to shoulder I think his defensive work rate Mm -hmm. is miles ahead of what it was and I think crucially he's getting in the right positions he's not stuck out there on the touchline he's closer to the goal would you would you give any of that credit to the manager in terms of maybe what they've been working on because I do think around the box he is much more decisive Um, yeah I mean one of the things I really like about him is how prepared he is to use his right foot at this point which yeah. it, it certainly felt like in his first year he wasn't doing as frequently. But if you think about some of his good moments this year, I mean, he scored that stunning goal, didn't he, with his right foot where he just uh, rolled it under his studs and then put it yeah, in the top yeah. corner. He produced a brilliant cross for Lacazette at West Ham off his right foot. He scored a couple of goals, I think, in the last couple of games off his right foot. So I think that's progress. You know, it makes him more unpredictable, makes him more dangerous. I think he does seem more decisive um we have to give credit to the manager well i mean i just you know there's got to be is that just pepe responding and improving or is that pepe being coached not necessarily just by the manager maybe by some of the coaching staff uh there was a question from the discord from cpt steve who said do you think pepe would have uh, reached the level he reached at the end of the season if he played the games willian played or do you think being benched motivated pepe to improve now i think we made a huge mistake obviously in uh signing willian i think that's <clears throat> not something too many people will argue with. I think we made a mistake giving Willian far, far, far too many minutes at the start of the season that could have gone to Pepe. And I wonder, you know, if the contributions he made uh, in the second half of the season, if one or two in that first half of the season, um, you know, m- might have left us in a slightly better position this season. But, you know, is there something to the idea that that the way he has been used has helped this late season improvement? Maybe, Mm. maybe. I think a lot of people feel that the signing of Willian impeded Pepe's progress. I agree. I'm not not, um, arguing against that. I, I firmly believe that. I think it was a, you know... Is a but you, you could frame it as a motivating factor. I don't know if it was. I, I, I think the... I think Leeds was a bit of a turning point, actually, because I remember talking to you at that time and mm. we thought yeah, his we time could. was coming to a close at Arsenal, you know? Yeah, that's true. It was hard to see a future for him. I think he's really applied himself since then. And maybe the coaching has helped. He certainly looks... Um, you know, he's still not a complete player, and I'm not sure he ever will be. But I think 
his strengths are being emphasised more. I think it's partly coaching, but also partly the coach understanding how to use him. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, he's so deadly that I'm almost having the conversation in my head that we had about Aubameyang so many times this season. You know, where I, when, I, when I see him back there helping Callum Chambers out at right back, I'm almost thinking, should he be there? Mm. Can we get him, keep him closer to goal all the time? I mean, Marcello Bielsa was the guy who bought him and tried to play him as a centre-forward. Apparently it was a disaster, but you can kind of see where he was coming from. Yeah, you can, for sure, because, you know, that left foot is is amazing. When he's on, I mean, the, the finish with his right foot, the touch with his left foot, the finish with his right foot was excellent. But the uh, that goal that he scored in the second half where he just sort of ran and passed it into the back of the net, you know, made it yeah. look so simple. And we've talked about that uh, lots of times. So, look, I hope that the way he's finished this season um, will make him stronger and better for next season as well. And, and will perhaps elicit the kind of trust in his output that that is required, I think, at this point, you know, mm. from the manager. Mm. You know, like he's he, he has improved his defensive game. There are flaws to him. There are moments where he looks like Bambi on ice. But then there are, you know, I'm not saying that those are goals scored out of nothing because I think they came from good team play as well. Yeah, uh, And I think that was one of the more pleasing aspects of yesterday was, uh, you know, how quickly we progress the ball at times. But even when you work the ball into the kind of areas that are dangerous, you still need players who can produce the finishes and and understand how to get the ball into the back of the net. And I think he is, he is clearly one of the best in this team. Um, you know, he's got that individual quality to make those moves um, productive. Yeah. And they're not hugely easy chances, you know, no. and, and, I don't think the sort of analytics models rated them as such either. And he, he took them really well. Um, he's very cool. He's very composed in those situations. Mm. You know, I think there's a pretty good case. Uh, he's, yeah, he's one of the finer finishers in the team. You know, it's not like an Aubameyang situation where he, he gets three chances and puts one away. Pepe is super clinical in mm. those scenarios. Mm. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I... I guess uh, one of the things I'm really encouraged by is that Arteta, however, whatever his part has been in this journey of Pepe's, I do think from the things he says publicly, his appreciation of the player is a little bit different at this point. I think he has warmed to him slightly. That's my impression from his sort of press conferences and stuff. Yeah. Well, look, he finished the season very strongly, four, four goals in two games. Um yeah, I mean, anything else from yesterday? Because we've got a load, a load of questions. So we might pour the Yeah, yeah. The biggest I, I do part. have one thing. Yeah. Which is, I wanted to ask you, because it was a good day. You know, we won, fans were back, great. But it was also a slightly frustrating day um, because of, you know, everything that had gone before and the fact that it sort of impeded what we could achieve. But one of the things I found galling frustrating, and I'm sure it would have been the same for you, is how much better we looked with what I would call a proper central midfield and did it make you mm. slightly mournful for the fact that we could have selected that midfield at certain other crucial points in the season and didn't yeah I talked about this uh, we did a, a podcast on Patreon the 
preview podcast for the Brighton game, myself and Lewis, and we picked three positives of the season and three negatives of the season each. Right. Uh, and my big, I think my first one was the decision that Mikel Arteta made to play Granite Shack at left back when Kieran Tierney got injured because it affected our central midfield. I thought Shaka was really good against Brighton, and I know it's an end-of-season game, but I think he has been, his couple of moments aside, and they were big moments and they were costly moments in both those Burnley games. So I'm not trying to wipe the slate clean there because I think on both occasions... You know, I mean, that's five of your six points, potentially. At least, yeah, because, you know, we were on top in that home game. We were on top and it looked like we were starting to play and then he he reacted stupidly and then there was the one away from home where, you know, so I'm not wiping those away. But I do think, I firmly think that the biggest mistake this season was Willian. Mm -hmm. But that is something that, that... happened over 38 games where it was obvious pretty quickly that it wasn't working out as well as anyone would have hoped but I think that was the biggest mistake but I think the biggest tactical mistake was Shaka a left back when we had Saka who could have been more or less what Kieran Tierney was Shaka could have partnered Partey and I think central midfield you know, we just had to move too much around to try and make the Shaka left back thing work, and I yeah. think that was that was. Uh, there are a lot of things I hope Mikel Arteta learns from this season, but I hope that that is one that he really sits down and thinks about, and and you know, sometimes it can seem like a great idea. I'm sure he did the flow charts and the whiteboards and all the little roundy pieces and this is how this is going to work and this is how that's going to work but you know you just disrupted too much to for it to be effective and it cost us a place in the Europa League final I think um so yeah yeah that was a little bit frustrating for me but I guess it's water under the bridge at this point yeah, and I thought Shaka and Party were both good. In this yeah, game. yeah. I, mean, I thought Shaka was. Can we talk about how the, the the return of fans has a direct correlation with the quality of Thomas Partey shooting? He'd been doing it on purpose, Andrew. He'd been waiting to score his goal mm. in front of supporters. Very, Came very, very close. Happened. Came very close, didn't he? But yeah, I, I loved the way Shaka moved the ball. I thought there were some brilliant tackles as well, particularly in the build-up to Pepe's second yeah. goal. Yeah, really good tackle. It was one of those where he was going across <laughs> and I was going, uh, Granite, do you know that John Moss is the referee today? If you do not get this completely right, and even if you get it very slightly wrong, there's a chance you, you could be done and dusted. But look, commitment in the tackle. We won the ball, we moved it forward, and, and Pepe scored the goal. So fair play, you know. Yeah, uh, he was having the sort of day where things were going for a minute. I just thought it was interesting to see how much better we looked with a properly functioning Mm. central midfield. Um, Oh, I'll tell you one other thing that I thought on the day, which I think is worth discussion. Mm. I'm fascinated by the David Luiz outpouring. I really am. I think it's it's unusual. It is unusual, isn't it? (laughs) To see a player after only two years with a club sort of depart 
so beloved. <laughs> and maybe the disparity that may exist in the sort of degree of love that's there from the players and staff and the club more generally versus that from the fans. Um, it is weird. I mean, yeah, Serge, who's at Surge Designs, said, isn't this David Luiz send-off a bit much? Lol. And Bearded Genius, or no, Bearded Hannon, at, at Beardy McBeardface says, when is David Luiz's statue unveiling? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean... The testimonial. We need a testimonial. You're right. You're, I mean, he must be lovely. He must be the loveliest man to to have that kind of an impact on a squad of players who genuinely, you know, wanted to show their, seemed to want to show their love and appreciation for him. He must be just a really, really nice man and a good teammate to work with on a daily basis. I saw loads of Instagram messages from some of the young players who were thanking him and, you know, he must have given them time and helped them and all that kind of stuff. But... Mm. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, it doesn't tally with what we got from David Luiz as a player. No, I mean, yeah, that's it. That's it. And I think, I suppose one of the reasons it stands out is a lot of the time players don't know they're going. You know, it's the final mm. day, their future's in doubt. Maybe they're in contract negotiations. They sort of do the awkward walk around. Is that a goodbye? Is it not? Yeah. But Louise... I want to leave. I don't know if anyone's going to buy me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Louise is in a sort of, um, I guess, a fortunate position of he's kind of, he and the club have taken the matter into their own hands and actually come out publicly and said, it's, this is going to be it. It's going to mm. leave the club. I mean, Arsenal don't do that particularly often. Um, and it's just given him this opportunity to, for this farewell. I mean, I watched his speech in the dressing room and, you know, that was a, an emotional moment for him and for some of the other players. Um, it, I think often when the club kind of lay on a farewell, they're doing it to reflect the fans' attachment to a player. And the reason this feels different is because, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's about the way the the club themselves, the staff, the players, the backroom people, it's all about how they feel about David Luiz. Mm. Because ultimately, he's their colleague and he's been a great colleague and clearly they love him. But yeah, it's... I can't, I can't remember anything quite like it, to no. be honest with you. And it's weird, and I know the circumstances of the departure were very different... You know, but you think about someone like Lauren Koscielny, who mm. put his body on the line for nine years for the club and got to the point where, completely out of character, he went on strike to leave. And, I, you know, there's, there's a story there, I'm sure, that will come out in the wash when Koscielny does a book or whatever it might be. We might find out what's going there, what, what, what happened there, you know? So it's not to defend what he did, but, you know, there's a guy who, who played for us for nine years, season after season, gave us good performances. David Luiz has come in for a season. Um, then there was a stop. And then there was that, like, crazy stuff where he went on TV. Remember after he got sent off against Man City and he was like, well, yeah. it's, it's my contract. I don't know. I couldn't. How could? Blah. Crazy. Absolutely crazy stuff. And gave away all those penalties and got sent off all those times. And with David Luiz and the team, yes, we won, we won the FA Cup, but we finished eighth 
in two seasons in a row and he's been he's been decent and his passing is good and and everything else but like it's so incongruous <laughs> to, for that level it's, it's like he's been here his whole life and i yeah i don't yeah, know it, it is it is because uh, it, it's not an unmarked copybook is it from from louise you know there's plenty of sort of black marks there he in spent his most of his career at chelsea club. as well you know yeah it, but I, I think it's an insight and, and maybe it's maybe it's related to the fact that so much of his time at arsenal has been without supporters i mean ultimately it's the majority of it and so maybe in that period the club has been more about you know, and it's been more inward looking, mm. you know, it's been about the internal relationships and I don't knock that, you know, this is a place of work for these people. And, um, you know, to have people there who make every day better is good. And it's fair enough that they should celebrate it. It just feels a little odd to us because it's not something we've been able to always see. You know, we might see little clips in training or we might see him put his arm around somebody at the full time or we might see a thing on social media saying, thank you, David, for giving me advice. But really, his contribution is something that's happened. The the big, big positives of it have been behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is a bit weird. It is a bit weird. Um, but there you go. He, like I said, he must be just a really, a really lovely man. And it, like quite a few people are, are leaving the club at the end of the season as well. David Miles, yeah. club secretary after 50 years. Um, exactly 50 years. Yeah. He started working in the club shop. It's quite an amazing story. Yeah. And uh, Chris Harris, who you know, was in charge mm. of Arsenal.com and the, 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 the media side of things, he's leaving as well. Um, Connor Armstrong, who's the social media guy. The guy gets all the <laughs> all the flack in the mentions every time Arsenal uh, posts something, but uh, those guys are leaving <laughs> I don't blame well. him. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's going somewhere really nice and relaxing. He can chill out. <laughs> but his, his work's been brilliant. I yeah. mean, you know, he's a great admin. Um, well, look, good luck to all of those guys. Um, yeah, they're all going off into the sunset in a car with David Luiz. Kind of have a caipirinha on the beach somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> right, let's do uh, part two and get yeah. into these questions. Let's do it. All right. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Before we get into this, I know this is something we would do at the end of the show, but I do want to say thank you to everyone uh, for being here uh, throughout this season. We know it hasn't been the easiest season uh, to to live through, to endure, to experience, whatever you want to call it, but, um, you know, we... We've, uh, I I guess, been helped through it ourselves by doing these things. And in part, if it's helped you get through it, we're really happy about that, too. So uh, before we get right to the very end where people might turn off, thank you so much for all the listens and downloads and everything else. Yeah, it has been a great comfort, you know, and Mm. uh, obviously you and I have these chats, but it does feel like we're having them with a much bigger audience than that. True. It's uh, especially, I think, you know, without having fans in the stadium and not having that kind of instant camaraderie that I'm used to, it's been brilliant to have this as kind of an outlet. So thanks for sticking with us because it hasn't been easy on the football front or the non-football front. No. Um, Can we just talk as well uh, very quickly about the blog Patreon Fantasy Football League, in which I finished bottom yeah. of the table on minus 17 points, 1,289th in your face. You finished 174th. Out of how many? 1,289. Well, that's not too bad, actually. Um, Did you keep I, it up? I, or? I, I try. I try. Oh. Um, I take a tablet for that. But I... Uh, <laughs> Pfizer, What right? was your team? Can we see your team? Um, let me see. What I would do is I would just get the um, the most injured players I could find. Yeah, sure. So, so you, did you used to work a, for Arsenal's recruitment department, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Mesodosa was in my team from like... Um, whatever august to to january because he couldn't score me any points it was that kind of thing so my final lineup was darlow kelleher were my goalkeepers uh justin van dyke Shar, robinson cresswell neto declan rice oh he came back oriel romeo macarthur solly march somebody called andone i think he's from brighton as well origi and sharp Wow. I mean, you actually had a few players scoring points in that last week. Shah scored a penalty, didn't he? Cresswell got a clean okay. sheet. Rice scored, I think, on the last day. So, yeah, you know. I could have been much worse. Those guys really let you down. Fucking point scoring bastards. I hope they were in your Brendan Rogers envelope. <laughs> disappoint you at the end of the season. There's going to be um, three, three at the end of the season. There's going to be <laughs> three of you are going to let me down. I know who you are. And Does Brendan have his own name in the envelope? <laughs> I do wonder about that. Yeah. Um, le- that was a very good Brendan Rogers, by the way. Thank you. I didn't mean to trample on it. No, that's it okay. Very good. It's okay. James is fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's quite creepy, though. It is a bit. Uh, I can see you now. I know what you're wearing. Hey! <laughs> um, listen, let's talk yes. about Joe Willock. Have oh. you got a Joe Willock question? Oh, I do. I do have a Joe Willett question. It's from the Discord, and it comes from Ian Two Noobs or Ianto Noobs. I don't know. 
Um, I can't quite figure it out. Anyway, he says, goodly end to the season. A goodly end to the season to you two. He said, do you now think the time, it's time to bring Willock back into the fold and figure out a tactic to get the best out of him and the other Hale End boys? He's been brilliant for the Magpies and I feel there's no one in the squad with his Ramsey-esque ability to get into the box late and on the end of a pullback. Mm. What do you think? I think he should be knighted frankly, Sir Joseph Willock. He has done extraordinarily well. He has. I'm so pleased for him. He must feel on top of the world because... He's a lovely lad, isn't he? Yeah, he does seem like a nice nice kid. Um, I think when he was growing up as a teenager in the academy, there was a few whispers around that he was maybe a bit big for his boots, but he seems to have really matured and applied himself. Mm. And I think... Yeah, he, he, um, he, he he's done incredibly... Seven goals in seven games. I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, that's a freak run, okay? But you can't fluke it, in my opinion. Like, if you score seven goals in seven games, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And apparently, his underlying metrics... I was chatting to Tom Werville of The Athletic about this are really good in terms of like the amount of touches he gets in the box, the, his expected goals, you know, the positions he takes up. This isn't fluke. He is a goal scorer. He has that knack. Obviously he's not going to score in every game, Mm -hmm. but he's definitely the kind of guy who could score one in four, you know, and for a midfielder, that's plenty. Do you think if Joe Willock, grew up on Tyneside and was banging in those goals as a Geordie lad (laughs) that people will be saying, that's exactly the kind of player we need at Arsenal. A goal-scoring central midfield player, someone who carries the ball, he progresses it up the field quickly, you know, he drives at defenders, he can burst through the lines, he can finish, he's not the cleanest player, you know, but he's pretty much the kind of player that you know people sit up and take notice about i think i i I know exactly what you mean and i'm sure some people would say that i think there would still be others who would have stylistic Mm. concerns you know he's not um he's not exactly martin odegaard in terms of his passing and his ability to you know control the ball um but I think that this debate about system and, like, does he fit is a little bit of a red herring because I think Joe Willock is not a guy you want to fit into your system. Like, he's kind of a guy you want to be able to deploy or to bring on almost to disrupt things. Like... Mm. For me, the optimum use of Joe Willock for Arsenal is like, and this sounds disparaging and it honestly isn't meant to, but is that kind of Danny Welbeck, at times Yaya Sonogo, that X factor of like, I don't know what this, I don't know exactly how this guy's going to play. I don't know the positions he's going to take up. Mm. He's not going to help us from a continuity perspective, but he's going to add athleticism and more so than either of those players who I've just mentioned, he's going to add goal threat. And that is his use for me. Like, I don't think we start, I, I don't envisage 
Thomas Partey playing next to Joe Willock, you know, I, I, every, week in, week out for Arsenal. I, personally, I don't see it. Mm. But I do see a player who could be very useful in situations where you're playing Burnley and they're sat in and you need someone who can make a run, you know, into the box, get on the end of something. He scored a few headers for Newcastle. He scored a few headers for us as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm. for me, he's a wild card. So it doesn't matter that he's doesn't fit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely see what you mean there. I wonder, you don't have to agree with it. No, it's not that I disagree with it. I just wonder if a manager who is as wedded to structure as Mikel Arteta appears to be would have a place for a player well, like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So is there an incompatibility there? Personally, if if it were me, unless the offer was absolutely ridiculous, I think I would... I mean, I see both sides of this, where people will say his stock will never be higher. Um, we should cash in now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his stock, I see it. stock could be higher. If he scores more goals... Um, I wonder how much would his stock fall? Uh, yeah, it's a Depends. weird one. I mean, think about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know. Mm. Slightly different situation, but a year ago, had that good run with us, played and won the FA Cup final. Got into the England team. Got into the England squad. 15 million on the table. We were right at that point in time. It didn't feel enough. Um, but his value since then has dropped. Whether it's dropped below 15 million, hard to say, and his contractual situation is probably a factor in that if it has. Mm. But, you know, it, at the time we were like, no, this is a 30 million pound player, sort of thing. And now that feels wrong, you know? Yeah, I, I, I really can see both sides of it. I, personally, I would like to see him get a chance with us. Uh, I, I do think there is a player in there. I think... You know, he's he's flourished at Newcastle. The goal-scoring run might be a bit of a freak, but it's no surprise to me that he scores goals. It shouldn't be any surprise to anyone who's watched him for Arsenal that he scores. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he scores goals. We do not have midfielders who can score goals. No. Um, you know, Partey didn't score this season. Ceballos didn't score this season in the Premier League. Shaka. Uh, did he get one goal? I think he got that free kick against Chelsea. El Neni yeah. only scores belters in the Europa League. We're not even in the Europa League. So we don't have goals from central midfield. Is that something that we are going to be targeting when we think about the transfer market this summer? Don't know. So I I, I would be inclined to, to hang on to him personally. Mm. But... If the offer came in and the offer was too good to turn down, and I think that is a that's an interesting one because I think pretty much every club everywhere is going to be open to selling players of Willock's type or stature. Like I think most clubs will have a few players who are basically untouchable, but everybody else because of the financial impact of covid is potentially sellable mm -hmm. you know because you you have to try and generate some money so i think there could be like a circular 
you know, whirlwind of money going around the Premier League and, and maybe beyond that, players who maybe a club wouldn't want to sell ordinarily, but because of the market, they may have to. And I think Willock is in that in that category, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... And, and we, you know, equally, we, we need homegrown players. He's one of those. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't lie. I can't be truly objective about this because it's a player I like and I love it when academy players get, you know, their chance mm. in the first team. And this story of a guy who's gone away on loan, surpassed expectations, performed brilliantly, you know, emotionally, I'd love him to get that chance back at Arsenal. And I think he couldn't have done more no, exactly. to earn it. Exactly. There's a head versus heart thing going on. Yeah. You know? But what, what what I'm saying is if I'm not, you know, I'm not paid to make those decisions. And if, if someone within the club made the decision to sell him, I would respect it as well. And in a way, I would think maybe Arsenal have changed tack a little bit in how they manage these things, and that wouldn't be the worst thing. Mm. You know? it, I, I don't doubt he could have a role to play in the Arsenal squad. Um, but it's, like you say, maybe he's not Maybe he's not really an Arteta player. Mm. That said, Arteta picked him, you know, he brought him on at least plenty of times. Uh, a couple of you know last season it's maybe a really to, it's a maybe, really interesting one yeah maybe to add that um, chaos factor maybe it is yeah. something that he would like to have in the squad because we don't have another player like that well I mean he's not the same but I think Martinelli brings some of that yeah that's and it's fair. interesting sometimes Arteta's a little reticent to use that as well so I guess we'll find out <laughs> quite what Arteta's stand on it is. But yeah. Goals from midfield are in short supply. Uh, and certainly Joe Willock appears someone who's going to offer you that. He, he, he's, he's in a difficult position in his career where I think he's a little bit like someone, again, this is not a kind comparison, forgive me, Joe, but someone a little bit like Jesse Lingard, who it's like, you can play in the United team and you'll score goals here and there and be useful or you can be the star at West Ham or Newcastle mm. say and I don't know he put a thing up on his Instagram today Willock didn't he kind of saying his goodbyes to Newcastle um, but I yeah I don't know I wonder I, I wonder how he feels as well it's, it's a tricky one it is it is because, you know, the purpose of the loan was to see what he could do. He's shown very clearly what he can do. Um, you know, it's not that he's going to come back and score with that kind of frequency, but I think he's given them uh, plenty to think about this summer, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, on the subject of this, you know you were talking about big regrets from the season. Mm. I've got one for that list. Okay. And it's something I've been thinking about since Joe Willock's loan spell has seen him kind of explode in this fashion. I think the failure to loan out Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah, I think that was a real, real mistake in January. I think Arsenal should have moved heaven and high water to try and do that. Because I'm not saying they would have done what Joe's done, but... If you look at how his value has been amplified and how the value of those players has sort of slightly tailed off, it just seems such a shame, such a missed opportunity. 
Yeah, I mean, the Nelson one is weird, I think. It's very mm. strange. Um, the Enkedia one, I don't really... Look, he was he was playing, not frequently, but he played enough in the first half of the season where you, um, you know, he was involved. When Nelson was on the left, he got minutes, yeah. yeah. And we had Europa League group stage. But Nelson really hasn't been involved at all. And I know uh, people will say... It's ridiculous we gave all those minutes to Willian when we could have given them to Reese Nelson. But realistically, if we weren't giving the minutes to Willian, we should have given them to Pepe, not mm-hmm. Reese Nelson. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't quite stack up uh, in that sense. I, I wonder why January, a January loan didn't happen. Because it was clear at that point that if he wanted to play with any regularity or any frequency this season, he would have to go. So I don't know why he didn't and didn't push for that to happen himself because essentially it's a wasted season for him. Yeah, I, I don't uh, get it either and I don't know the answer um, and I have tried to find out. It's a very strange one. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, w- we had more to gain. From those from those guys, the Enkedi yeah. one. I, I take your point, but I think once we got out of the group stage, Europa League. But there was no reason to keep him in January, again. No, and we had Balogun, you know. Yeah. So I, I think who'd shown that he could score, you know, for us in a couple of Europa games. I, I just think I, I think in January we should have got those guys out on loan. The worst case scenario. Well, I think even a few games in the Premier League would have improved their value if they po- contribute anything positive. You know, and it doesn't mean you have to sell them. I think we probably would have sold those players, but maybe you get more for them. Or if Reese Nelson sets the world alight mm. at Crystal Palace, maybe you bring him back. You know? Yeah, exactly. As it is, we just don't really know. We don't know enough. I think we. I think we must now know enough. Surely well, we do about, about Enketia, I think. Yeah, I think we do about Enketia, but I think we also know enough about certainly where Reese Nelson is in the pecking order. Yeah, yeah. To know true. what should happen this summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, here, this is a question, okay. Matt Arsenal. As a club that has criminally underperformed in Europe throughout our history, should we have been so quick to dismiss the Conference League? It seems reminiscent of those that dismissed the League Cup for years. Um, like, can you be can you be a snob about the Europa Conference League when you don't even finish in a place high enough to qualify for? <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. think. I, I think it's a slightly different thing. I think my my objection to it was that I see next season's Premier League as the thing we absolutely have to focus on. Um, I really didn't see enough in, in terms of benefits from that competition to make up for all the distraction that it causes in mm. terms of pre-game preparation, you know, we don't have like, look what's, uh, I've got another question about this now in a minute, but Look at what has happened at under-23 level this season. We do not have the strength of 
young players coming through the academy to make it an all under 23s tournament if that's the way you know that was one of the things that you could say um th- that would be a positive right we can just give the games to the under 23s keep the the main guys fresh for the weekends etc cetera, etc cetera. but i don't think we have that depth there um i, I just think that it allows us to properly take stock, to reset this summer, to rebuild properly, to to fashion that tighter, more compact squad, and to focus completely on the on the um, on the Premier League because that 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 is where we need to improve. Yeah, I kind of feel a bit conflicted about this because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have hated that much really to be in the Conference League ultimately. You know, I enjoy getting an opportunity to see the squad players, yeah. the, the younger players at times. Um, I like the platform that can provide them. And I quite like watching us win. You know, like I'd rather watch us stick four past Dundalk sometimes than some of the other drops we've served up in the Premier League. Well, maybe it shouldn't be that way, but that's how it's felt. Um, that said, now that we're not in it, and assuming that the financial consequences of that are not, particularly crippling which i think in the kind of broader context of the pandemic they they aren't you know they're sort of a relatively low proportion of the losses that we've suffered um i can see the benefit of being out of it for our premier league chances and we've seen our rivals benefit from that in the past that is true and that's that's the kind of silver lining that you have to hang on to to justify in your own head a season outside of Europe. I realize that there are some mental gymnastics going on there. I do. And and the other the other like part of it is that we have less football next season. Fewer Arsenal games. And yeah, that's, yeah, you know, exactly. more time between fixtures and things like that. And and like even if twenty thousand people turn up to see one of these Europa conference games against a team we've never heard of it's still revenue for the club as well. So of course. from that perspective, I do see it, but but um, the advantage, if we can make it work for us, is fresher and, um, you know, just not having all those distractions. I mean, just following up on this, uh, let me see if I can find it here. I, I'm just hoping personally we can finally really push on for that Carabao. Sweet Carabao. Sweet, sweet Carabao goodness. Um, Tater Murray on the Discord says, which statement is true? Increased time on the training ground will allow Arteta to drill in automatisms and weekly game plans. Two, increased time on the training ground will allow Arteta more time to come up with complex and convoluted game plans Mm -hmm. to outsmart himself. Good question. I think, uh, from what I know, actually, of Mikel Arteta's training methods, he is quite good at not... Although we may see, you know, these players look too constricted, the plans are too tight, the the, the length of time mm. is not something that dramatically alters his approach. He's very much focused on the 48 hours before a game. You know, if he can, he'll give players days off in the period before that, or he'll go for something lighter. He'll respect the wishes of the physios. For him, it's all about that sort of T minus 48. What do we do in in that period? So I'm optimistic 
that he won't kind of seek to, as someone once described Unai Emery's methods to me, cram for an exam, just use all available time to fill the players' heads with information. Because that would be bad. What I do think, thinking about this, is that if you only really got the Premier League, and I made that joke about the League Cup, by the way, but I'd absolutely take a League Cup if there was one on offer. But if the focus is so clearly on the Premier League, that does bring pressure. Mm -hmm. And it's a pressure that won't be alleviated on a kind of fortnightly basis by trouncing opposition from a substantially inferior league. But was it alleviated this year when we won all our games in the Europa League group stage? I don't know that it was, particularly in no, maybe November, not. December. But imagine how it would have felt without that. <laughs> yeah, you've got more time to stew. Yeah, and I do. And also just there is an inherent pressure in, well, Arsenal have got an advantage over their opponents. They don't have European fixtures to contend with. Mm. So... No hiding place. There is really no hiding place. And we've got a good platform to perform in the Premier League, but it's so incumbent on the manager to Mm. ensure that they do so. Okay. Uh, What about... Mm. I've got a question that I think maybe you were going to ask, but I'll ask. Dom Crofts That's the very one. How did you know that? I literally have it open here right in front of me. It's a good question. It is a good question, but how did you know this was the next one I was going to... We've been doing this a long time, Andrew. We've been doing this a long time. Steve Bold is a club legend, but should his dismissal be viewed as a positive, our sentimentality and loyalty off the pitch has come at a cost in the past. So is this newfound ruthlessness a step in the right direction? Underperformance equals failure. Um, Like, I don't really have any issue with a change being made at under-23 coaching level if that's what they think is the right thing to do. Um, I think Steve Bold has had... He hasn't had a great deal to work with this season in that the best young players are either with the first team and the ones who aren't quite at that level but still a step above the ones that he's had to work with are out on loan. And we we did this weird thing last summer where we just sort of... Did you ever do this in, in football manager or championship manager? Just randomly buy a load of young players and hope that like in two years or two seasons' time, their stats have gone through the roof. Mm, mm. It feels a bit like we did that. We we signed players who weren't good enough for other clubs. There were players who were let go by Tottenham, players let go by Huddersfield. There was um, the young Norwegian guy, um, you George know, Lewis. George Lewis, who was who was let go by whatever club it was, and they basically said, really, Arsenal are going to buy him uh, or bring him in, you know? So I feel like <clears throat> some of the criticism of of the season that the under-23s have had that's been placed on Steve Bold lacks the context of that, right? Well, certainly Steve Bold is not leading that recruitment. Um, and the other thing to say about it is I think... We have to try to contextualise what the under twenty threes, yeah, it's is for exactly. You know, it's for a, the results even matter. Yeah, it's for developing players and playing styles and 
Yeah, and, and there are, have been some question marks over his style, in fairness. And, you know, George Bird, um, I think, is very fair in his analysis of the 23s. Yeah. And he kind of said, look, probably the right, probably time for a change. Yeah. But it, it is useful context to talk about what's happened to the 23s because, on the one hand, they have lost a lot of their the players who you would expect to be competing in that age group. Some of them are with the first team. You know, we're watching them every week, uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe and Martinelli and what have you. Also, a number of very good under-23 players have gone out on loan. Uh, I'm thinking of people like, uh, I don't know, Tyrese John-Jules or um, Daniel Ballard, who I think has done pretty well. Mark McGuinness. Uh, yeah. Matt yeah. Smith, Ben Sheaf. Matt Smith had a very good loan. You know, and Zach Mesley. These are these are the stronger players yeah. in that group. And actually, that's, a, I think, smart. Like, get those guys out where they're playing proper senior men's football. Yeah. And, and it has meant a bit of a scrabble to fill the squad with, like you say, a bit of a ragtag bunch. Um, But that none of that's on Steve Bold, especially. No. And look, I think the issue really is that, you know, again, let's bring it back to David Luiz, who's leaving with a hero's uh, departure. Well, exactly. You know, I, I think this is a situation that perhaps the club could have managed better, given Steve Bold's um, sterling service to us as a player, as a coach. You know, let's not forget that he won the FA Youth Cup as a youth coach, you know, before he became Arsene Wenger's assistant manager. Um he was keen to to allow Freddie Jumberg to work with the first team and was happy to step down to work with the young players because that's where he felt more comfortable, even though many people would have seen that as a demotion, which maybe it was. You know, so I, I just I just wish that for a guy who is such a legend and a really underrated part of the history of this club because everyone, when they think about Arsenal defenders, they think about Tony Adams and they think about Martin Keown because of the the way that he played and the kind of character that he was. Steve Bold was a fucking brilliant player, a brilliant defender, really, mm. really uh, underrated, I think, um, as part of you know, one of the, the legendary back four, et cetera, et cetera, Anfield 89, uh, you know, winning the league in 91, the Cup Winners' Cup, all of that. You know, I just feel like he should, even if the decision was to sack him, and that's what happens if you've got time left on your contract and a club wants to make a change, you get sacked. That's the harsh reality of football. I don't think Steve Bowles would be complaining about that. I just wish that the club had managed that situation better than they did. Um, and he was, you know, and he might well still be given uh, a good send off and, and the, the, the right amount of appreciation for his time at the club. But, you know, for, for the story to come out that way, when I'm sure that the club had ample opportunity to get out in front of it if they'd wanted to, but didn't, I, I just, I think that's wrong. And I'm sorry that it happened that way. I, d I didn't like that. It's tricky because, you know, I feel a slight sense of culpability in that because, Obviously, we put the story out via The Athletic and in fairness to the club, that would not have been their ideal or their intention, you know? Um, yeah, but they, a, sto a story is a story. 
the the truth is the truth. The fact is the fact that it's reported on isn't the issue. It's I think the fact that it was reported on first before the club, you know. Yeah, I mean the something. way it was explained to me, like I I and I don't understand this because I haven't had many proper jobs in my life, but you know, HR processing basically meant that this thing the club weren't in a position to say what they would like to say. Now if you know you're going to do something, I, I would say, you know, the club was able to give a really good farewell to David Miles, for example. They were able to give a really good farewell to David Louise. It would have been better had everything not been, had everything been sorted early enough that Steve Bowl could have got an ovation from the fans on the final day of the season, um, which is the very, very least he deserved. Mm, um, exactly. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's 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 a it's a tricky one because you know it's not well it's a, it's a tricky one for me because we because we put the story out but yeah I do I, I always feel slightly bad in those situations but it's a job. <laughs> All right, I've got a question, um, Matthew McGuinness, uh, who's not on loan at Ipswich. He says, uh, right, okay. discuss your end of season awards, player of the season, young player of the season, most improved player, goal of the season, moment of the season, best game of the season, surprise of the season, flop of the season. Who's your player of the season? Uh, I'm going to say Saka. Yes, I too. Um, uh, yeah, I think Saka. Yeah. I think he's had ups and downs, but I think... Mm. Generally, his contribution and what he's done at his age, it's got to be Saka. Young player of the season, I'm going to go for Emile Smith-Rowe. Yeah, I mean, you know, Saka would qualify for both, but nice to spread the love a bit. Yeah. And I do think the trajectory of Smith-Rowe, kind of since he came into the team, is pretty extraordinary. Mm. Um, he's made such a big impact on the results as well. Most improved player? There's quite... Well, there's a few for this, I think. Do you? Yeah, I do. I've got three in mind straight away. Okay. Um, I'll tell you who my three are. Okay. My three are... Um, oh, I've forgotten one. <laughs> who was my third? One was Granit Xhaka, who... I think in the course of the season has improved, but I think uh, looks a better player. I think Nicola Pepe, mm. yeah, that's a, a, yeah, is another one. And the third, um, well, our third was going to be Rob Holding actually, simply because it felt like his Arsenal career was in a bit of trouble when he was sort of headed out on loan to Newcastle. The, the amount of games he's played and the relative consistency at which he's done that, um, mm. I think is quite impressive. So they're, they're who I've got in my mix. Who do you think? Kind of struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, Not convinced by any of those. I think Pepe, I see your point about Shaka, but I don't necessarily agree in that. I, you know, I think he's been I said it earlier. I think he's been pretty good, but I think what we're just seeing is, you know, when Granite Shaka has been good, we're seeing that 
rather than massive improvement. Maybe the consistency is the improvement. Yeah, I mean, he, what, he was he was pretty good at times last season too. So he's been pretty good since Arteta came I'm, in. I'm taking I'm taking the fifth on this one. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go for. I am actually going to go for Rob Holding just because I, I didn't see this coming. I did not see it coming. Okay. That he would play this much. Goal of the season. Ooh. Um, that I'm finding hard, actually. There's a couple that spring to mind. You mentioned one earlier was Pepe's goal in the Europa League with his right yeah, foot. Yeah, that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, I Some- also have a very strong liking for another Pepe goal was it against Wolves where he did the nutmeg the double nutmeg yeah yeah. I like that one but I think I think my goal of the season is Saka against West Brom yeah just because of it was so at odds with what we'd seen from Arsenal in in the previous couple of months the kind of football that we forgot we could play um, and it was a really nice move and Smith Rowe's touch and pass and, you know, it's simple enough finish. But I just think the move, the football that we created, that for me is the one that sticks out, I think. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think you're right. It was a sort of transformative mm. moment, wasn't it, in terms of, you know, what we felt was possible from this group of yeah. players. Uh, so there's a heavy symbolism to that. Mm. So yeah, I think um, I think that's fair enough. I also like Tierney against uh, West Brom as well. Oh, great goal! Yeah, same right game, fo- same game. So, um, moment was there another of the category? Moment yeah, moment of the, of the season. Is there a moment that sticks out? Um, I mean, the occasions, the, the couple of occasions when we got fans back were both great for different yeah. reasons. I was at the first one, the Europa League one, um, and the final day felt like football. Mm. So I, I, I think I'd go for that probably. What about you? Team selection against Chelsea on mm. Mm. the 26th of December with Smith Rowe, with Saka, with Martinelli. So, yeah, it just signalled something was changing. Uh, best game of the season? Uh, wow. Uh, it's hard to think of any of the European ones because the group stages didn't matter and ultimately the, the um, you know, the, the campaign fell short in Europe. So it's hard to look on even something like the, the comeback against Benfica with with any great fondness. Yeah, I mean, the Chelsea game was a, a game changer in some yeah. respects. But in terms of the... I mean, our best performances have come against Chelsea, West Brom, that was a good performance. Um, the Derby win was mm. quite enjoyable. It was. The, the West Ham comeback in its own way was enjoyable, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the battering we gave Slavia Prague. I think I'm going to go for Chelsea. I think I'm going to choose that, the 3-1. 3-1 at home, yeah. That's a good one. I yeah. think uh, the win at Old Trafford was a good one as well. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Even if it was just a 1-0 and we did need a penalty. Okay, uh, surprise of the season. Uh, maybe I should have put Rob Holding in this one. Surprise of the season. Hmm. Callum Chambers? Yeah, not that he's like ways. not that like he's a big surprise, not someone we didn't know about, but the fact that he basically ended the season as first choice right back. That's a surprise. Mm. A good surprise, but I don't know. Still a surprise. Yeah, surprise of the season. Callum Chambers, uh, yeah, I think so. I think I've got another question about him, so maybe we'll come on to that. I think... Do you know what? I think how disappointing Aubameyang has been is a genuine surprise to me. Mm, that's Yeah, that's fair as well. You know, because I think even if you disagreed with the contract decision... You were more worried about year three than year one. Mm-hmm. I think we all thought this year we'll be onto a good thing with him. And he felt like the bankable thing in this squad. And he's not been, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to drag him here or, you know, I'm not trying to yeah. go, but he's just fallen well short of what I would have expected. Yeah. Um, so that's been an unpleasant surprise. I, you know, Mm. Yeah, I'll just say that. Okay, final one, flop of the season. Do we even need to answer that? No, no. Um, ultimately, Renarsson just didn't perform, did he? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, it's Willie, undoubtedly. I mean, yeah. an extraordinarily bad signing. Um, and, it, and, and a lot of people thought it was a bad signing at the time, but even those people probably thought the first year, a bit like a Bermian, would be better than this. There's been almost nothing positive to be taken from it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Big mistake. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No arguing with that one, flop of the season. Okay. Uh, have you got one? I've got a quick one here, if you want. Yeah, go on. Uh, it comes from the Discord, and it comes from Super White Pill. Took a few of those in my day. Uh, he said, I've got a question. I what didn't number- see BBC. <laughs> what number should Emile Smith-Rowe get next season? Yeah. Number eight, I think. Yes. Yes. I, I like it for me. I know... Who's number... Have we got number 10? No. We ha- we don't have a number 10. Am I right about that? Was it Ozil when he went? It was, yeah. Right, okay. And Odegaard took 11. Mm. He wants yeah. ten, but I think I think he? eight might. Yeah, James Benj was on last week um, talking about how he, you know, not that he's sort of clamouring for it or doing a campaign or anything, but he would like ten. I think. Well, is there pressure? With, is there more signs. pressure with that number? Like, can a number on a shirt bring pressure that a young well. player doesn't need? Is that a thing? Is that my? I don't know. I mean, Bakari Saka doesn't seem too bothered by the number seven, um, but I just there's something that feels right to me about number eight for Smithrow. I can't explain it. Maybe it's you know it's been a great number for Arsenal. Um, Danny mm. Sabas posted his farewell today, didn't he, on Instagram? I think I did. Yeah. Known for a while, he oh, would yeah. be back. But um, you know, Ian Wright, Freddie Umberg, Aaron Ramsey. 
certain Mikel Arteta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, there's something that just fits about Smith Rowe for me there. I, I think it would really suit him, and it's a real fan favourite number. Listen, so's ten, but I just think there's going to be a lot of competition from senior players for that. Um, I, it would, if Martin Odegaard comes back, it wouldn't surprise me if he made the old switch eleven to ten. It's weird, you know. That's a that's a pattern at Arsenal. The Bad eleven Percy to ten. Went yeah. Eleven to ten. Urzel went eleven to ten. Um, yeah, I think eight, but. Mm. I won't, you know, I won't. I'll be delighted for him if he gets 10. Yeah, just not 30 whatever he is at the moment. Two? <laughs> yeah, 32, yeah. Um, oh, this was a question about Chambers. Uh, John Stones, would you offer contract extensions to Elneny and Chambers? Both have played their part in some big performances this season and both seem good, solid pros that would make good squad players while we rebuild. However, we also know how bad they can be. I would be tempted by Chambers, and I'll explain to you why. Um, handsome. He's a handsome Handsome man. young man. Yeah. Very handsome young man. Like, right? um, <laughs> But here's what I would do. if uh, This is my ideal situation or scenario, right? Yeah. You get rid of Cedric. Throw him in the sea. Don't mind. <laughs> but ideally, you could sell him for a few quid. Like uh, computer intelligent automated response on Twitter, who is at doing petty crime. <laughs> I like that. Anyway, he says, if Willian and Cedric potentially leave this year, could whatever fee we get for them be considered good business considering we got them for free? Obviously, the cost of playing Willian this season was immensely bad. But, you know, if we get a fee, is that good? So, look, I would move heaven and earth to shift Willian. Uh, and I think uh, most people would. I would also, if possible, shift Cedric because I think it's a bad signing that hasn't really worked out. Uh, he can't play at left back. We were told he could, but he doesn't. He's not trusted to. He's third mm. choice right back. Look, it's not working, right? He, he's not in the manager's trust circle, if you like. So sell him. Um, keep Chambers. Give him a. Did you a mention Maitland Niles, by the way? Well, I think we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. About yeah, Maitland Niles. Like, I think that moment is gone for him yeah. for right back. Someone ring Wolves up and see what. Yeah. What, have you still got that 15 million quid you, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a year ago? <laughs> we'll take um, it. We'll yeah. take it. But I think one of the signings we have to make this summer is a right back. Yeah, I think so too. And I think Chambers offers you a homegrown, decent backup to the right back and also some cover at centre half as well, if you want it. You know, you're going to have Holding, Marie, Gabriel, William Saliba back, but to what extent he's going to be played, we don't know yet. Uh, And... You know, four centre-halves is probably as much as you need for a 38-game league season when you don't have Europe. But just in case, Chambers gives you that little bit of um, that little bit of uh, assurance. So I would be in favour in that situation of giving Chambers an extension. Elneny, can, I, can I ask you a question? Yes. Why, why can't he be the starting right-back? 
I, I'm not saying I'm sort of saying it to be provocative, you know. But like, mm. what 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 makes you think no? Because his delivery is very good. There was one first time cross. Did you notice? Yeah, that? and he's done that before—a volleyed cross like that. Yeah, he, he's he's got quality on the ball chambers. No question. Yeah, I just wonder about. Like, I just think a right-back or the starting right-back needs to be a slightly different profile of player. Mm. I'm not saying a right-sided Tierney, but kind of a right-sided Tierney, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that's the signing we need to make. Mm. Uh, I think that... If everyone's fit, first game of next season, I think Chambers will play right back because I just think it will be that thing of like betting in a new player. I think it will be more even the competition between Chambers and the new guy. I think I think it will be kind of a horses for courses situation. Depends what the 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 profile of the new guy is. If if he's a yeah. young promising player who could develop, then maybe you you know you balance the the playing time in the, the first season a bit. But if it's a kind of more high profile, like if, who's the lad at Norwich? Max Ahrens? Max Ahrens, yeah. yeah. That's a guy who could come in and start for you, you know? Yeah, potentially. I, I, I think um, I would give Chambers a, a new deal. How old is he? 26, I, I think. Yeah. They like him. Like... He's so nice. He's so, so nice. He's, he's so nice. He's so nice. He's so nice. <laughs> he's so nice. We give him a new deal. He's so, so nice. He, what? Uh, Mikhail, you've given a contract to Callum Chambers. Why? He's so nice. I would give him a new deal. What and then he. No. No. Dawson midfield, Andrew. Only in the Europa League. Hmm. Or did he score in the Premier League? He did, didn't he? He got yeah, one in the Premier League. Uh, he's 28. He's got one more year, I think. I, I wouldn't be averse to keeping him, but I wouldn't give him a new deal. But if you're going to keep him and mm. you can give him a new deal on the same money... Well, then... Fine. Mightn't you as well do it and then sell him in a year? But then are you not in the situation where you've got a player heading towards 30 who's not inclined to leave if he doesn't want to and it becomes more difficult to sell? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He scored against Newcastle, you know. I I suppose if... Yeah. I I actually think Elneny's a slightly tricky one just because we haven't got any midfielders. Mm. Um. And if Shaq, if something happened with Shaka, we really haven't got any midfielders. And if something happened with Willock, Joe Willock, yeah. But I think we're going to have to bring in a central midfield player. I so do, do I. think that's got to be on the list as well. I think if someone offers you good, if someone offers you money for Elneny this summer, you've probably got to take it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Because you know you've got. You know, if you've got to give those minutes to Miguel Aziz, that's fine. 
Also, I think you have to construct your midfield in a way where in January, 50% of it isn't gone to well, the African Cup of Nations. I mean, we're talking about El Nene, Parte, Pepe. I don't think Gabon are going to get there, are they? I don't know. Are they Not going? with Aubameyang playing like this. I think we're in safe hands there. Mm. What, what? I mean, what did you make of Basuma? He likes a tackle, doesn't he? Mm. He likes a tackle. Um, yeah, he was there's busy. some inter- interesting pictures of um, uh, Pepe showing him around at the end of the game. Yeah, I know. Showing him the tunnel area. Gabon are qualified for the uh, African You're joking. Yeah. So it is a problem, isn't it? Partey, possibly El Nani, Aubameyang and Pepe, gone in January for X amount of time. So that's got to be a real consideration when it comes to how we construct our squad for next season. So if you get an offer for El Nani... And you can replace him with a, uh, you know, a player who's not going to go away on international duty in the middle of the season. That's maybe what you do. Yeah, and does it affect the conversation Mikel Arteta has with Granite Xhaka? You know, if you're going to lose Partey, potentially mm. El Neni, it may be Basuma. You never know. I don't think that Mikel Arteta would want Granite Xhaka to go, but I do wonder if. Granite Xhaka feels it might be time for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's my impression. But I think if I think Mikel Arteta will ask him to stay. Um and then it becomes about you know mm. is Xhaka willing to do that again. But well, again it might depend on what kind of options he has. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's the, he's a, he's another really interesting one this summer. Um, because it's sort of it's a, it's another big kind of decision point for for the club and for him. Mm. Anyhow, Anyhow. Lots, you got any more? Lots to think about. Um, do I have any more? How are you feeling, by the way? Still feeling? Uh, yeah, no, feel okay. Feel okay. Don't have a sore Good. arm. Great. Um, I suppose well. I mean, I'll probably. Who knows what will happen to me? Let's not get let's not get into it. <laughs> No, the possibilities, I think, are, are, yeah, endless. are endless. Absolutely endless. Are endless. Um, do I have any more? I don't really. There's a lot of stuff about transfers and, you know, if we're going to do our projections on things like that. But I think we probably need to leave that to, uh, you know, a different uh, different day. There's plenty mm. of time to talk about all those things. So I think we should leave it there for now. It's late enough anyway. It's now 20 past 10 at night. We've got to get this podcast out for people to listen to. They've been yeah, waiting all be day for up it. Late. Staying up late. Past their bedtime to listen to this. Yeah, they'll have to get a nice hot cup of Horlicks or cocoa. I mean, that's the thing. The season's over, but we're not really going anywhere, are we? So no. we can talk about all this for many, many months. Exactly. Weeks, rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a proper preseason to come and, and everything else. And uh, yeah, people can just, yeah, uh, enjoy the show. Do we need yeah. any more creepy Brandon before we go? I don't think we do, do we? No, I, I won't sleep tonight, Andrew. Nor will the listeners. That's because I'm watching you, James. No! <laughs> it's horrid. <laughs> Absolutely horrid. All right. 
Look, uh, James, thank you for your company throughout the season. I know we're going to be here through the summer, but, uh, you know, I think I should... Uh, it's uh, good to thank me, though, every now and then. It is. You know. It is. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it in as much as it's been possible to enjoy things uh, during this season. Um, it has been a, uh, a thing to keep me sane and grounded. So thank you, uh, James. Thank you, listeners, for everything. Uh, we will have a regular podcast for you on Friday. We'll probably do something midweek as well. Um, but for now, we'll leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 